Hello and welcome to this week's Y Football Podcast with me, Etches Adoku, and Michael Dryden. How are you, Dryden? I'm terrible, Etches. Absolutely dreadful. Um, basically, Sunderland have reached the lowest point in their long history. Um, officials from uh, fan groups met with club officials yesterday, um, and there's assumption now between fans that they're effectively blaming fans, or the owner is blaming the fans for the failed sale, saying the unrest has not helped. Oh, um, wow. We finished, well, we ended up finishing eighth, so we actually went down a place after mm. the points became. It's just a dreadful time to be a Southern fan, man. So, not playing, not seeing them play, not being able to go to the games, yeah. seeing this on Twitter all the time. It's just depressing. Yeah. Really, is depressing. A few people have also asked, been asking me about your actual age. A few questions. <laughs> uh, a few pods ago, I've made a, um, what was a really funny joke about you being in your 40s. Yeah. Would you like to um, challenge that? Uh, I'm actually 26 years of age. Recently turned 26 as Recently well. Yeah, yeah, June 17th, 1994. Cool. Yeah. Just thought we clear that one up. Uh, and how are you, Edge? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Uh, FA Cup semi-final today. Uh, the Arsenal are playing Man City. I reckon it'll go. Yeah, it'll go one of two ways. Either we'll win two-one or lose seven-nil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think there's much of an. I've got a feeling it might go one of one ways. Yeah, um, it might be seven one nil. of one way, which will probably be a defeat. They've yeah. been City have been pretty good since they the restart. Been. They have been indeed. Uh, apart from that, yeah, I had a few friends. So I've missed. Uh, some of the Arsenal games during the weeks I've, I've been busy in the evenings and uh, one of my friends Shane Beck has uh, been questioning my Arsenal loyalty really? yeah so he he actually is a Liverpool fan born and raised isn't he? Uh, yeah born and raised in Liverpool he's also a bit of plastic to be honest. <laughs> but yeah he's been questioning my Arsenal loyalty so I've been trying to fight in that corner this week as well uh, a break from FIFA oh really? yeah we've heard a lot about your pro clubs yeah experts. we've heard a lot about pro clubs uh, I've moved on to Cod Zombies <laughs> really uh, yeah with my flatmates which has been good frustrating so you went from being a 40 year old down to a 15 year old correct there. correct and also there's one more thing I have to highlight as well as last week on the pod uh, Dryden was referencing um, uh, a new player I haven't actually heard of in Syria R mm. from days gone by by the name of Miliko very niche player <laughs> yeah I think he played for Bologna I think so at the time uh when I was listening, I was like, who's he Who's he talking about? I'm not sure I knew who I was talking about. <laughs> so it's it's a fusion of uh, Fabrizio Mikkeli <laughs> or Melito. I meant Fabrizio Mikkeli. So I was referring to my old ultimate team, which is a Serie A ultimate team, which had Antonio Di Natale, yeah. Mikkeli, yeah, Mikkeli, as we've Good. not... not <laughs> and uh, Alexander Pato in that little three at the top. And I'm glad he cleared that up. Yeah, thank Good. you for clearing that up. This week, Dryden will be taking a look back at Croatia's 2018 World Cup, football in the country and how a such a tiny nation produced World Cup finalists. Before we start, please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore for our latest content. Please also follow and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and new this week, Acast. No, for immediate access to our future episodes. It is exciting, isn't it? Mm, very much so. So Dryden, tell me about football in Croatia. Has the country always been a successful footballing side? Mm. Well, football in Croatia is actually referred to as Nogome, okay. um, not to be confused with Pisilig. Um, we went to Croatia with friends, yeah. and this is a, this is a ball sport, and um, we play in shallow waters. Yeah. Um, basically, the person who, you know, it's like one bounce in football. The person who can't keep the ball up um, loses. I was the reigning champion. You did as win. Well. I don't think I won a single one, to be fair. The one-on-ones yeah. at the end are just too difficult. Yeah, you, you struggled. <laughs> So Croatia is a small nation, as most will be aware. 
They have a population of just less than 4.1 million, which is the same as Mauritania and Kuwait, for reference. They're led by the Croatian Football Federation, which was founded in 1912. After World War One, the Croatians played a major part in the founding of the first uh, football federation for the Kingdom of Serbs, Croats and Slovenes, later named the Football Association of Yugoslavia. After the Second World War, most of the prominent Yugoslavian clubs, including clubs in Croatia, were dissolved and replaced with new sides by Marshal Tito's communist regime. Um, the communist regime in the new state quickly moved to ban all clubs who had either participated in the Croatian Championship or bore Croatian national names. Most clubs had to maintain loyalty to the regime, so um, that's why you may see a lot of uh, clubs with a communist red star as part of their emblem still, um, or they did at that time. After Croatia gained independence in the 90s, the Football Federation was reconstituted. Yugoslavia don't have a particularly glittered past, so they've actually only won silver at two Olympics, 1948 and 1952. They did actually win um, the 1987 FIFA World Youth Championship. Um, Many Croatian internationals were part of that, spawning the golden generation. It won third place in the 98 FIFA World Cup, which I'll come on to. Um, a third of that squad was Croatian, including Davo Suka, former Real Madrid and Arsenal, Zvonimir Boban, former Milan player, and tournament top scorer Robert Prozenecki, ex-Real Madrid, Barca and Portsmouth. Why do I keep choosing topics that have players that are going to be difficult to pronounce? Yeah, you always end up sweating throughout the I'm court swe- as I'm well. sweating now. So following that youth team success um, actually came the dissolution of Yugoslavia. Um, the team was split up and the remaining team of the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia was actually banned from competing at Euro 92. The place was actually taken by Denmark, who went on to win the competition, interestingly. Um, Croatia have appeared in five World Cups, achieving third place in 1998 and second place in 2018. Um, and they've appeared in five Euros, reaching the quarterfinals in 96 and 2008. Thanks for that, Jeeves. Uh, yeah, the quarterfinal loss uh, against Portugal in the last Euros was honestly daylight robbery. You know, they dominated from start to finish and actually had 17 shots, but zero on target. Um, yeah, I think Vida, you know, the guy, the, the blonde-haired centre-back with, yeah. with the suspect haircut, he hit the bar from a header, I think, and Karezma got the winning goal, nicking it for Portugal to go through. Speaking of haircuts, Paris Hitch. So he had like a short back and sides in that tournament, but the sides was actually like dyed in the Croatia flag. <laughs> it was honestly... Yeah, it was like when Asimov Jan had the three yeah. put into his hair. And it, who can who can forget Goran Pandev? Is it Goran yeah, Pandev yeah. with the, <laughs> with the back hanging down? Yeah, we should do a pod on there. Football's worst haircuts, but yeah, it wasn't great. What's their domestic league like? Are there still issues of corruption in Croatia? So Croatia's domestic league consists of three national leagues at professional level, the Croatian Cup and the Croatian Super Cup. The first division, the Prva HNL, was founded in 1992 and consists of 10 teams. The winners and second place enter the qualifying stages of the Champions League. Only five times in history have uh, teams from the first division entered the group stages of the Champions League wow. after the qualification stage. Uh, in the 94-95 season, Hadjuk split eliminated Legio Warsaw in the qualifying round and entered the group stage. They advanced to the quarterfinals as group runners-up behind Benfica but were eliminated by eventual winners Ajax. Today, club football in Croatia is dominated by Hadjuk split, HNK, Rijeka and largely Dynamo Zagreb. 
Zagreb are the most successful club with 20 titles overall. They are followed by Hadjik Split with six titles. Rijeka and NK Zagreb have each won one title. I mean, that's almost complete domination mm. from Dynamo Zagreb. It's almost to the point where domestic success, I assume, isn't enough for it to be a fantastic season for them because they're so dominant. I would assume, you know, long runs in Europe, if they qualify the Europa League or Champions League, is probably the marker of a great season, much like Celtic in Scotland or yeah. PSG in France, although PSG is more about they actually have to win the Champions League and not just get far in it. Yeah, there seems to be a complete monopoly, which I'll, I'll go on to touch on in terms of um, the youth system with Dynamo. Mm. In terms of the corruption, um, Zdravko Mamic, considered the most powerful figure in Croatian football at the time, was found guilty on a set of charges that includes making illegal personal profits on player transfers from Dynamo Zagreb. Um, the court ruled that players in question, players in question, namely Luka Modric um, and Dejan Lovren, were unlawfully paid 50% of the transfer fees that Dynamo received, only to then forward that money to Mamic, who was the Dynamo executive at the time, or a executive at that time, um, and his family. Mamic signed personal contracts with many players during their early development years, such as Modric um, and Lovren and Kovacic, now at Chelsea, and Vizalko, I believe I pronounced that right. Um, they all had similar contracts with Mamic, but Andre Kramaric, former Leicester player, actually refused his influence. Huh. Um, Modric was following that, was charged with perjury. This was later rejected by the Croatian court. I'm not sure if the rejection was based on any legal terms, mm. but if I was a judge and you know we got to the final of the World Cup and Jordan Henderson was um, you know, embroiled in scandal, I'd probably just let him off. Yeah. Would you? You'd be leaning. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Vishalko used to always get unreal. Yeah, is it Sas, 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 Suasulu? Is that Sasulu? Yeah, he used to be at Genoa. Genoa oh, was, uh, okay. yeah, he used to be at Genoa. Or maybe he was there before, but he was at Genoa. And he just used to get so good mm. on the game and always end up at Barca or City with the values of like 60 million on his head. Yeah. He still had, he still had a great career, but yeah, he used to be. It's always a problem unreal. position. I've found myself, I've signed Hakimi. Mm. And a lot of my friends have as well because it's a proper position. Oh, really? Mm. Um, I also... Mamic actually isn't in prison for his crimes. He was sentenced but uh, has fled to Bosnia who have refused to extradite him because he's a national. So he's just... Uh, just yeah, but he, was, he was sentenced to six years as well. Mm. Um, and there's a, there's a rule in, in Croatia where a sentence of over five years is just mm. immediately... Um, so there's no like there's no like bail process. Oh, really? Just go to jail. So obviously he fled to Bosnia because he's got jail... Nationality, yeah. Nationality, yeah. What was Croatia's route to the 2018 final and how did they line up? So actually before the tournament, a panicked Croatia changed coach on the eve of a crunch qualifier in October 2017. And actually in Russia, they sent Nikola Kalinic home after he refused to come off the bench in their opening game against Nigeria. Yeah, I remember the Nigeria game well. Croatia were a class apart in that affair. <sighs> Players refusing to come off the bench is just such a bad move. Yeah, it's like, terrible. It's never... It's just never going to end well. I recall uh, watching Premier League years, which I've seen countless times, especially the 98-1, one, and 2004-1. Why is that? Uh, Arsenal in the league in those okay. years. Um, and I recall Pierre Van Hoydonk uh, had an issue at Nottingham Forest where he has promised the team would strengthen and they didn't and key players were sold and his transfer request was rejected. So he just went on strike. <laughs> Like, how can one of your best players just go on strike? He didn't play for months. Which I just find well, it's, bonkers. It's it's like 
Timo Pukki. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a bad example of just being relegated, but it's just literally like your main striker. Like yeah. um, Danny Ings. Yeah. Scoring goals for Southampton. Besides, nah, don't nah, I don't fancy him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Croatia were managed by Zlatko Dalic, a former international player who played most of his career in Yugoslavia and Croatia. Um, Croatia topped Group D, beaten Argentina, Nigeria and Iceland, dispatched Argentina 3-0. Mm. Um, goals from Rebic, Modric and Rakitic. Um, the mostly used lineup, um, so we take into the into the knockout stages um, against Denmark, England, and France. Uh, they lined up with the same team, so it was always a four-two-three-one or four-three-three with the three midfield players in there, um, and it usually consisted of Vida and Lovman at the back, as you mentioned, Strange left back, Rizalko at right wing back, Subasic who had a really good tournament, mm. um, Modric obviously who won Player of the Tournament and it won the Ballon d'Or, and then Perisic, Rebic, and Mandzukic um, leading the attack. Uh, Manzukic sink, sink in England's hearts, as everyone will be aware. Um, Modric, I th- believe, sought with Rakitic at times on the pitch. Mm. Um, one of the two went forward. Brozovic tends to hold a bit more. Um, Kramaric came in for one of them games um, against Russia ahead of Brozovic. Uh, he actually scored the goal. So in the round of 16, they defeated Eriksson's Denmark on penalties despite going 1-0 down in the first minute. Mm. But equalised three minutes later through Mario Manzukic. Uh, ball, the ball hits Christensen square in the face for landing at uh, Manzukic and just netted it. Uh, Rakitic went on to score the winning pen in that shootout. In the quarterfinals, Rakitic did the same thing, scored the winning penalty um, in the shootout. And again, they went down 1-0 um, and equalised shortly after through a Kramaric header. Um, Vida scored after extra time, but it was cancelled out by Mario Fernandez, And then it went to penalties. In the semifinals, we all know what happened in the semi-finals, um, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. England took the lead through a triple free kick. Super should have, should have saved it, in my opinion. I mean, it was brilliant. The only time the world stood still. <laughs> Thanks, <I> cheers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, obviously, we know Paris equalised in the 68th minute with a clever flick. I mean, that was... It's one of them goals where, like, how's he got the power on the ball? Yeah. And, like, it's such a clever finish, man. Like... Mm. He had an excellent tournament and it was just devastating. Man. I think he got ahead of Walker and flicked it and it was it was absolutely devastating. Modric continued to dominate a tired England throughout that game. I mean, the second half of extra time was still just dominating the game. Mm. Like, incredible performance from him um, and throughout the tournament. In the final, Croatia played very well in the first half and throughout the game and were unlucky to go into halftime 2-1 down. France took the lead for an unfortunate Mandzukic own goal. Um, for another clever finish by Perisic even the scoring Griezmann penalty put France ahead so they're 2-1 down thanks to an goal on the penalty uh, 2-1 down Croatia began to tire in the second half with France's quality shining through Pogba and Mbappe secured the win Manzoukic grabbed a consolation um, and became the only player to ever score an own goal and a goal in the World Cup final and they were the smallest final finalist since Uruguay in 1950 interesting fact very interesting indeed. Um, it's a good point you mentioned about population size and I wonder how much it actually affects football. So if you look at New Zealand in rugby, it highlights how having so few people in one nation doesn't mean you can't dominate a sport. Mm. Obviously, they're not comparable because a lot more countries play football, but New yeah. Zealand has a tiny population compared to South Africa, yet their team dominates in that arena. Mm. I really liked Rebic in that tournament for Croatia. He's one of the few players I'd never heard of Anarchy kind of popped up and then someone I've followed since I think mm. he's now at 
Eintracht Frankfurt? Was yeah, it? I think he's popped up. He was up. at Milan. I think he's now at Eintracht Frankfurt. I can't remember. Mm. Um, but yeah, that shout out to him as well. And also a big shout out to Luka Modric for the tournament that he had, obviously winning the Ballon d'Or. Your dad's a Tottenham fan, isn't he? He is a Tottenham Just fan. Just a shout out there. He is Tottenham fan indeed. We'll leave that one to the side. <laughs> um, but Luka Modric was actually voted La Liga's worst signing in 2012, just after his move from Spurs. An accolade now that would surely raise a few eyebrows. Yeah, absolutely. He's went on to have an absolutely fantastic career yeah. at Real. I mean, he's won everything. Yeah. He's won titles. He's won the Champions League, what, four occasions? Yeah. He hasn't won the World Cup, obviously, but I mean, even getting to the final. If England had got to the final, I know it's easy to say that in hindsight, mm. or say this in hindsight, but I think I just would have been over the moon. Like, I think it would have been devastating to then go on to lose to France, which most likely would have happened. Yeah. Um, but just being a final in our lifetime would have been brilliant. So it was absolutely mm. heartbreaking. I watched that in um, in Turin, in Italy, nice. in a festival. And I remember being the, so everyone had left. So the quarterfinal was during the, the festival. Yeah. And so there was loads of English fans there, loads of English fans in the pub. Mm. We stayed afterwards for like a break after and the semi-final was all English fans that went home. So we watched it in a in a bar. Yeah. And there was one Croatian, um, there was one Italian guy yeah. who was a West Ham fan and didn't speak any English. And he was just throwing abuse at the Croatian fans. <laughs> <laughs> so how does Croatia produce such talented players? So in Croatia, sport has largely become a matter of national identity over the years. Uh, Croatia's first president, Franjo Tuđman, after the 98 um, third place team, said, now the world will see us differently and talk about Croatia in a more brighter tone. Um, so it really is a big deal for the court was a fledgling nation at the time. Um, Slavin Bilic actually followed the 18 final, um, commented on it saying it's impossible to have a great domestic league with 150 good players because obviously they've got 10, well, they've got 10 teams in their first division. Um, they do obviously have the talent and character, um, but a major point he touched on um, is that for the players in Croatia, when they are 17 or 18, they're getting their chance. It's this argument of, um, in the Premier League, players aren't getting a chance at that level because the stakes are so high. Um, every game is a massive, um, is so massive because the, the, obviously the, the cost of relegation is so high. The cost of not getting to Champions League is so high. Um, so they're playing week in week out, and I think it's the same in Brazil. Like they come through at such a young age, and it's not as if these leagues aren't competitive and aren't taken yeah. seriously. It's mm-hmm. a massive deal in Croatia, and it is in Brazil. And they've got big, they've got stadiums, and Brazil got big stadiums where they're playing in front of lots of fans yeah. in really pressurized environments, and it really seems to build this. Not just the player in terms of technical ability, but the character as well. So in 2011, the Dynamo Zagreb Academy was awarded one of the six best best youth academies in Europe by UEFA, um, alongside Barcelona, Inter Milan, Sporting Lisbon, Ajax, and Arsenal. Um, were the other winners of that? Um, they continue. The academy continues to churn out talent. They now hold the world record for a single club to be re- represented at a World Cup with 14 players in the current Croatian or in the Croatian um, 18 World Cup squad. Our Croatia is only, only has five pitches that meet UEFA's international standards. Obviously, they have numerous picture, pitches, mm. but only five that actually can be used in, internationally. Um, so the infrastructure is largely poor and the investment in grassroots football is basically non-existent unless, seemingly, you are Dynamo Zagreb, which seems to have a dynasty. Um, Hajduk Split are also a famed academy. Um, Slavin Bilic came through there. Modric spent some time there. Um Typically, kids come from the street, and football provides a sense of a sense of purpose. It seems um, in the nation. So it was a it was a, it was a nation that was torn by war and unrest, um, and so I think for a time it became a bit like a bit of escapism for families and for children to get into playing sport, um, which you, again could be akin to say Brazil, which isn't war torn, but you know kids play on the street and then come into these academy systems. 
talented players are also forced to leave their clubs early because of bad financial situation for a lot of Croatian clubs, um, picking up fees from other domestic teams like Dynamo Zagreb or going um, abroad into Europe or further afield um, to play. In order to obtain a proper UEFA coaching license in Croatia too, you, you had to be a professional footballer and having international caps is a must if you want to reach the final stages of your coaching education, which narrows the pool in a country that is already small and desperate for quality coaching. Yeah, the UEFA coaching license thing is, is quite narrow-minded, I think, especially in a world where we have Jose Mourinho, mm. Maurizio Sarri, and Andre Villas-Boas, who have all had hugely successful careers despite never playing the game at a professional level. Yeah, um, you that's know, a good point. I think, especially Mourinho, is one of the most successful managers of all time. Yeah. So for a country that's so desperate to have coaches, it seems pretty stupid that they have that rule in place mm, having said that though i think the world of football is beginning to change where that opinion which is kind of if you haven't played the game you can't coach you know it's, it's moving to more of an open-minded view uh spurs spurs assistant manager Jao sacramento is a good example of that mm. you know, he studied i think football studies in scotland yeah and has now found himself uh next to as i mentioned earlier one of the most influential or one of the most successful managers in the game currently. Well, look at Graham Potter as yeah, well. Exactly I mean, right. he he studied in England and went to Norway. To, was it I think Oster, Potter, Osterund? I think, I think Graham Potter played football though. Oh, did he? Mm. Well, professional level. Mm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> so I think a really interesting discussion point from this is are we likely to see another small nation reach the World Cup or Euro finals um, or say like a poorer nation, less affluent, say Portugal is small, but... Um, obviously, they reached the Euro uh, 2016 final, um, yeah. uh, but they obviously have got rich football in history. Richer countries are producing talents at an unprecedented rate. Uh, big clubs have excellent facilities. They're stockpiling players, particularly in England. Holland and Belgium are small nations, um, but like Portugal, are far more affluent um, and have a much closer proximity uh, to Western Europe. Uh, the semi-finals in 14 have Brazil, Argentina, Holland and Germany. These semi-finals in 2010, so in the World Cups, Uruguay, Spain, Germany, and Netherlands, so similar. Um, basically, the, the big guys seem to be in there, Barca, Uruguay. Yeah, it depends what you define as a small nation, as I touched on earlier. In theory, a smaller population means you have a smaller pool to choose from, but it depends also on the main sports of that nation. So if you look at China, India, and US, they don't have dominant football yep. sides at all because US focus on their American sports. Mm -hmm. India with cricket, China with maybe gymnastics and other focuses. Yeah, there. Olympic sports. Yeah, Olympic sports, yeah. So I think it, yeah, it's hard to actually measure what we define as a small yeah, absolutely. Uh, as a small nation. Population-wise, yes, uh, Uruguay as well as uh, Croatia is very impressive, but they're also countries where football is their main sport. Mm. If I was to look at the player pool of their small population compared to I reckon the US is a good example potentially because there's so many sports. Mm. Maybe it's actually similar in terms of application. I don't yeah, know. absolutely, in it, terms of participation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's hard to say. I think on your point of when could a smaller side, in terms of population anyway, win a tournament, I think Norway with Haaland, who's going from strength to strength. Yeah. Austria with David Alaba. Um, what's his name? The West Ham striker who's left. What's, what's his name? Anatovic. Anatovic. <laughs> Anatovic. They've got a good side. They've got... Um, yeah, they've got... Who's the guy playing for Leipzig? Uh, 
Sabitzer. Yeah. They've got Sabitzer in midfield as well and Lehmer, also mm-hmm. Austrian, Conrad Lehmer. Um, so yeah, I think those two countries in particular have fairly small populations, but could definitely win a Euros. Yeah. A World Cup is a lot harder once you had the African nations who can cause upsets. South American and nations, South America yeah. in particular, who mm. are powerhouses. But you never know. Um, I wouldn't say Croatia were favourites to reach the final, although they did have a very good team. So anything's possible. Because mm. only six or seven teams have actually won the World Cup. Because if you yeah. think about it, there hasn't actually been that many World Cups. No. So... It, it's so, it obviously comes around so infrequently and yeah. then you've got to get all the way to the final yeah. and then defeat a team like France. Mm. Um, and also the path, I think one thing we haven't necessarily touched on um, as such is the path to the final. Yeah. So as you know, it's always, it was talked about a lot of the time how England seemingly had this really easy path to the semi-final yeah. compared to like France and Belgium. Yeah. Who, you know, that's a France beat Belgium, Brazil on the way to um, getting to the final. Um, so that's that's not touched on but I think Croatia's achievement is still absolutely fantastic really yeah it's brilliant unprecedented really and I think the other issue we mentioned a little bit as well of stockpiling talent is representation you know Ireland are a really good example who have a very similar size population to Croatia mm. but struggle massively with their ties to England yeah you know you look at Jack Grealish and Declan Rice two players uh, that represented their youth teams and actually I think played in their uh, Declan Rice definitely played for the first team but it was a friendly yeah, yeah. Grealish under 21s and they've switched allegiances yeah, uh, yeah. I know happens Nigeria. very often exactly and then someone like Croatia wouldn't necessarily struggle but there are a lot of small nations that suffer from that dual nationality uh, issue in football but I think that is a pod for another day absolutely that's all from us thank you to Dryden for doing the research and for pronouncing some of the more tougher names out there. Thank you. You did really, really well. You, you can take a deep breath and have a biscuit. Oh, will do. Yeah, no worries. Thank and thank you for tuning into this week's Why Football podcast. Please don't forget to follow us at Why Football underscore. And please also follow and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and new this week, I've said it twice now, yep. Acast, Acast, for immediate access to our future episodes. Cheers, guys, and see you next thank week. Thank you very much. Cheers.